A Light to the Nations is a production of the Ephesus School Network. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of A Light to the Nations. I'm your host, Father Fred Shaheen. In the scriptures, whenever someone is loosed from bondage, when they are raised up, when they are made to stand straight, it is for the purpose of submitting to the will of God. Just as Israel was delivered from slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt so that they might serve the Lord, we are always called away from serving false gods into submission to the true and living God. And this is done specifically by the learning of his will and obedience to his commandments. Thus, it must be taught. When Israel disobeys the ordinances of the Lord, the consequence is that they are left subject to another master, one who enslaves them but cannot offer them life. This is precisely the predicament of the woman with the spirit of infirmity in Luke chapter 13. And her encounter with Jesus corrects that situation by liberating her from the bondage of the adversary and inviting her to submit to the will of the scriptural God. And all of this happens significantly while Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Let's hear verses 10 through 13 of Luke 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The scriptural mechanism of out of bondage and into submission is on full display in this story. One notable detail here is that the woman doesn't even ask Jesus to heal her. She doesn't approach him or do anything to get his attention. It says only that Jesus sees her and having called her to him, he proclaims that she is loosed from her infirmity. In chapter 13 of Luke, there is no time to hesitate or deliberate. The passage that immediately precedes this story prepares the hearer for both the total helplessness of the woman, of whom it says she was stooped down and could in no way raise herself up, and the urgency of this healing, which doesn't require any prompting on the part of the recipient. In verses 6 through 9, right before Jesus sees the woman in the synagogue, we hear a parable about a fig tree that hasn't borne fruit after three years. The owner of the tree wants it cut down, but is convinced by the keeper of his vineyard to let it alone one more year, to dig around it and to fertilize it to see if it will bear fruit. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. Luke Chapter 13, verse 9. It is fitting then, since time is short, that Jesus acts in a decisive way in the verses that follow, 10 through 17. 
There's another important detail in this story. Luke mentions that the woman had been suffering for 18 years, and this is said twice, once at the outset of the passage, and then a second time by Jesus in his rebuttal of the ruler of the synagogue. Luke could have just said that she had been sick a long time or for any number of years, but 18 is oddly specific. What could be the symbolic significance of 18 in the biblical story? If we look at the last verse of chapter 24 of Joshua in the Septuagint text, we hear a summary of what took place following the deaths of Joshua, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, and Phinehas, his son. But the children of Israel departed every one to their place and to their own city, and the children of Israel worshipped Astarte and Astaroth and the gods of the nations round about them. And the Lord delivered them into the hands of Eglom, king of Moab, and he ruled over them 18 years. What follows after this verse in the book of Judges gives us a broader picture of the condition of the Bene Israel, and particularly the reason for their being delivered by the Lord himself into the hand of the foreign king. Let's hear Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tamnarathis, in Mount Ephraim, on the north of the mountain of Gaz. And all that generation were laid to their fathers, and another generation rose up after them who knew not the Lord, nor yet the work which he wrought in Israel." And the children of Israel wrought evil before the Lord, and served Baalim. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and walked after other gods, of the gods of the nations round about them, and they worshipped them. And they provoked the Lord, and forsook him, and served Baal and Astartes. And the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he gave them into the hands of the spoilers, and they spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, and they could not any longer resist their enemies. Among whomsoever they went, and the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord spoke, and as the Lord sware to them, and he greatly afflicted them. We then hear that the Lord raises up judges over his people, a succession of 18 judges. That's a second reference to that number to save them from the hand of those who plundered them. And still, we hear in verse 17 of Judges the following, Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And again, in the same chapter, beginning with verse 20, Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them, or not." Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. So in this part of the biblical story, 
The Lord is so fed up with the disobedience of the children of Israel that he leaves them to their own devices. While Joshua was alive, they had been able to enter in and to inhabit the earth of promise, and the Lord had delivered the original inhabitants of Canaan into their hand. But now, following the death of Joshua, and because of their continual disregard for the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, he specifically leaves Canaanites in the land to be a snare for them. The reality of the situation of the Bene Israel being tested by the Lord through the presence of the Canaanites in the land and the result of the test is summarized in Judges chapter 3, beginning with verse 4. And this was done so that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commands of the Lord, which he charged their fathers by the hand of Moses. And the children of Israel dwelt in the midst of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And they took their daughters for wives to themselves and they gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. This servitude to other gods gives us the backdrop for the situation on the ground in Luke chapter 13. As Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, there was a woman there who had an infirmity for 18 years. She was stooped over and could in no way raise herself up. Let us hear the seriousness and the apparent hopelessness of that condition and how it is Jesus' teaching in one of their synagogues, and specifically on the Sabbath, that is the corrective. In Scripture, women often represent communities. The unnamed woman here can be seen as a stand-in for Israel, those Jewish people in whose synagogue Jesus was teaching on the Sabbath. The ones who, because of their disobedience to his laws and statutes and ordinances, the Lord left vulnerable to the gods of the original inhabitants of Canaan. Contrary to a common modern understanding, the Lord's original act of liberating the Israelites from Pharaoh through Moses was not done so that they could simply be free. It was so they could serve him. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. Exodus 9, verse 9. In order to serve the Lord, the Israelites need to know his will, something that is expressed first in the law he gives them on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses, and a second time right before entering Canaan, the earth of promise. When they abandon the ordinances and statutes of the Lord, the Bene Israel effectively forsake their status as his people. By giving up serving the true and living God, they put themselves under the authority of his adversaries. Thus, Jesus' statement a little later in Luke 13, when speaking of the condition of the woman, that she is a daughter of Abraham whom Satan bound for 18 years. And it is this condition that Jesus reverses by calling her to him and declaring her free. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Her reaction to glorify God is not shared by the ruler of the synagogue. We then hear, 
in verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. When we hear the healing offered by Jesus in this passage as a corrective to the former disobedience of the children of Israel, then it is appropriate that it take place specifically on the Sabbath. Whereas Joshua could only secure rest for the Israelites during the time he was alive, in Jesus, the new Joshua, a second chance is offered, one that promises a lasting, permanent rest. Thus the story of the fig tree, which is given one more year to bear fruit before it is cut down, which story precedes that of the woman in bondage for 18 years. And since it is a second chance, it comes with a warning not to neglect it, as did the children of old. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, we hear the following. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 4 through 11. This passage contains both an acknowledgement of the former disobedience by the Bene Israel and also an exhortation not to repeat it if the hearers are to enjoy the inheritance promised to them by the scriptural God through the faith of their forefather Abraham. But the ruler of the synagogue doesn't see this. He responds with indignation against those who would be healed while claiming to uphold before the crowds, in other words, a mixture of Jews and non-Jews, the requirement of the Sabbath. Then, beginning with verse 15, Jesus again speaks. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. In verse 15, Luke uses a device that expresses the indisputable authority of Jesus over the opposition of the ruler of the synagogue in the matter at hand. The Lord then answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? 
Notice how here, out of the blue, it is the Lord who speaks. It's as if we hear the divine verdict proclaimed by no less than the author of that very law in which the sanctity of the Sabbath and the keeping of it were given as a commandment in the first place. This use of the Lord instead of Jesus or simply he, as we have heard up until this point, is intentional, and it makes of Jesus' rebuttal the definitive statement. Not only do the children of Israel behave as hypocrites in their manner of keeping the Sabbath, but their understanding of its purpose is lacking. Significantly, the example Jesus uses to illustrate their hypocrisy is that of loosing an ox or ass from the stall and leading it to water, which is specifically the act of a shepherd making provisions for the flock. He even draws their attention to the 18 years with the expression idhu, translated as think of it, which forcefully links the situation of the woman to that of the children of Israel following the death of Joshua. The corrective here offered by the Lord is nothing if not thorough. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. So it is only through the hearing and teaching of Jesus in the synagogue, a place for teaching, on the Sabbath, the day for hearing and learning the will of the Lord as expressed in the law, that the woman in Luke 13, representative of the children of Israel, is given the chance to be made straight, something she could in no way do herself, and having received that second chance, give glory to God. Moreover, in true scriptural fashion, other people present, the multitudes, a mix of Jews and non-Jews, partake in her joy upon seeing the gracious acts of the Lord. This concludes episode 10 of A Light to the Nations. I'm your host, Father Fred Shaheen. Thank you for listening.